anybody, do you believe that God wants to heal you? A question we ask and people are like, yeah. And, and this woman in front of the whole church, he, she said no. And the reason why is because this woman had backslidden, had gotten back into sin, had come back. And somehow in her mind, God doesn't want to heal you. God is punishing you for what you did. And so sometimes just to press that button is to set people free. And so that, that is what we're doing in this part of the Sunday school. And that is, okay, how, how do I pray for people with some insight and understanding? We've been talking about spirit and sickness. That the whole idea that there are things that are working in people that trigger sickness in their body and dealing with those things triggers healing in their body. And give helping us to understand and pray with that. And again, this reason, of course, is to help all of us here because we are spirits living in houses and all of us this morning have to deal with things. But we're also doing this really to equip you to pray with people with some confidence and some understanding. And, uh, and uh, we're going to hear some great testimonies this morning. And so Luke 13, Mike, why don't you read that verse 10 through 17 uh, for us this morning. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, move along in this Sunday school. And I'm going to do this this week and next week. I've some amazing uh, testimonies. Um, and so we'll see uh, where we go. And so go ahead, Mike, why don't you read that for us? Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bent over and could not no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he, and he, laid, hands, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with an indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and let it away to water it? So ought not this woman... Bending a daughter, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bond, bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosened from this bond of, on the Sabbath. And when he, said, when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the, all the glorious things that were done by him. Okay, so we have the uh, uh, healing of the woman bound by the spirit of infirmity, and so... Uh, we're using that as a very powerful precedent of what God wants to do and minister to people who are bound spiritually, that Jesus saw her problem first as a spiritual problem and that Jesus wanted to minister to her and he identified her, diagnosed what was going on. All of that was spiritual. And so things are going on in the human personality and uh, this can make a huge difference. So we, we've gone through this. We've looked at quite a few scriptures. We've looked at facts. 
that they are measuring this now and they they you know when you're dealing with realms things that are spiritual and things like that it's 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 hard to measure spirit but yet they, they it's kind of like the wind jesus says you can't see the wind but you can see the results and so they're measuring this and they're finding out that people they get prayed for uh seem to uh, do better they go to the hospital and people that are prayed for recover quicker they go home earlier they measure this in a lot of different metrics. So you can't measure spirit, but you can measure the effects. Things that are going on, people are, they're, they're better off. And marriages are better off. When people go to church, you live longer when you go to church. You think you're healthier when you, when, you, when you go to that. Well, we all know that's not the physical act of just driving your car to a building on a Sunday, but it's what happens when you open your heart to God. When you minister, so they're doing this. So uh, we know that the, the word of the hour in medicine is stress. Everything is about your levels of stress. You are the doctor, they're asking you if you feel depressed or they asking you if you feel anxiety and they're measuring things that are not measurable. You're looking at spirit, whatever that spirit is and it's manifesting or the effects of the wind. You have ever seen um, you know, the after effects of a hurricane and you see the devastation and all that devastation was because of something you cannot see. You see wind. It's there and it's real. And so Jesus looks at this woman and he sees the effects of spirit. So as we were moving through this, we got into the subject of generational curses last week. In fact, why don't we put that verse up, Tony, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Gilbert, why don't you read that for us uh, this morning? Uh, because uh, this um, uh, uh, caught lots of people's attention, by the way, last weekend. I had numbers of people come up and speak to me afterwards because it kind of triggered in them in, it, it, when I said that you may be experiencing something brought upon by a decision of a grandparent or a great-grandparent. And sometimes we wonder why do we go through what we go through and we realize and I had some people come to me and say, you know, I started thinking about my life and I started thinking about some things I know about some previous generations and I've located a threat. And I saw something and they wanted prayer for that. And uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things that happens, I think when you pastored in the same place for many, many years as you, I remember I preached a sermon on family curses in 2003. So there you go. I shouldn't have to repeat it. And, uh, and then you realize that uh, one thing a preacher better remember is that people's memories usually last to point two. And, uh, you know, that right there, but you realize for especially a younger generation, that sometimes they haven't thought about these things. And how many know you can hear a sermon 10 times and, and then the 11th time all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. Anyway, musings. Go ahead. Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. And the Lord descended. Oh, excuse me. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And so what we were talking about last week is when Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I'm going to show you only a part of my glory. 
And remember what we said, that the glory of God is absolute mercy and absolute righteousness. They coexist. He is perfectly willing to forgive, but he is perfectly willing to judge. That is the gospel. You, you dismiss either side of that, you are going to become an imbalanced person. If you don't understand that part of his uh, uh, holiness is his righteousness, and so he can be somebody who will give mercy to thousands, but by no means clear the guilty. And uh, uh, I would say in American Christianity, the emphasis is on the forgiving and keeping mercy for thousands, but they forget that by no means clearing the guilty. That consequence, sin has consequence. If you sin, you are going to pay a price for your sin. People, it's like somehow, they don't hear that anymore. Uh, Pastor Greg Mitchell in the Sunday school, um, I'm sorry, in the Bible conference on Wednesday night, uh, read a little article about a, uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, TV shows called The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, uh, which would be utter nonsense. And so nobody here should even know what I'm talking about because I don't know what I'm talking about right here. But that one of, the, uh, one of the females on there, I don't know if it's, I don't know if they're the main one or how it works, but apparently there's a, on the, I guess, it, I don't know if it was shown on television or if this happened behind the scenes, but a Christian man who was in there witnesses to her and in that identifies fornication as a sin. And then this girl blows up because she's a Christian and loves Jesus but that she does have, quote, physical relationships with men. And every day Jesus forgives her and she just blew up it's on this man. Like, how dare, how dare you say that I'm not a Christian because I involved in physical relations and, and, and just blew up? Like, how dare you? That's what we live now in America today. That's American Christianity today. American Christianity, it doesn't understand those words by no means clearing the guilty. This is who God is. God didn't get saved in the New Testament. Ah, it's an Old Testament God. That was before God was saved. No, this is who he is. He, aren't you glad he's willing to forgive sin? Thank God. But he by no means clears the guilty. That means... There are consequences. That means when the guilty remain in their guilt, they unleash things. Things move forward. There's, there's an outcome. David does everything to cover his tracks with adultery, but the Bible says he left behind a seed. That's how it works. You leave behind a seed. And so there's a, there's a problem. And so looking at this then, one of the things that is... Uh, released is generational, moving down third and fourth generation. We tend to think very short term. People don't understand this. You ever talk to a backslider, someone who's going to backslide, and they're going to do it by golly. Most people who backslide don't say, I'm going to backslide. Some do. Most people say, I'm going to another church. I'm going to stop somewhere on the way to backsliding. But what they don't understand is what they unleash generationally as it begins to move through down the line and it's not just 
you know, a month or six months later or a year later, here we go down to the fourth generation. And these things begin to work in us, in our lives. And so, uh, you know, when it, when it, over the years of ministry, I have seen this. I'm always curious a lot of times. And if you've been around here a while, uh, especially if you've gotten older, and I talk to people a lot of times, I will, and they're talking about their children, I will ask them, okay, well, what, were, what was going on in your life when you were 17? What were you doing? Not to, to shame them you know, or anything like that. I mean, you know, I, I, it, it, it is fair to say that, you know, most of us testify about what horrible students we are, and our kids come home with a B, and we're like, what's wrong with you? And so leaving that aside, um, I talked to a good friend of mine who lost his son, by the way, a few months ago, a terrible accident. And uh, he said to me, this is totally separate, but very inspired. Come on the conference with all this stuff. But he told me, he said, you know, one thing I've thought about since my son died is don't sweat the small stuff. Anyway, that'd be good to remember for some parents here. Anyway, in this, I've seen it. I ask people, well, what about it? You know, you begin to see. I tell every young people, be careful. You hear stories about early pregnancies or fornications or things like that. You better wake up because these things visit generationally. You better stay atop. Rejection is a huge one. Um, I've seen this counsel many people over the years that you'll find rejection if it's when it gets into a family, visits every generation of that family unless they consciously understand that dynamic and uh, and uh, and uh, it's like one child is set aside never gets along with and, and conflict and usually when that comes up you begin to inquire you find out the previous generation they may not even been the rejected one but they lived in a family there was rejection maybe of a sibling and then they come and now they have a brood and all of a sudden there's these there's this immediate disconnect with one of those kids and it just and it visits generationally and so you see this and so why are we talking about it because of course this can be true of inherited sicknesses and the fact that well you know our family we all have heart disease and our family you know all the men don't live to 60 diabetes and, uh, and, you begin, and you begin to see, and a lot of times people grow up with an awareness that in my family, when I get to this age, this is what's going to happen to me. So we can understand how, if you begin to understand, see things with a spiritual component, how that could affect somebody. If all your life you're aware that when you, once you're, you hit 40, you're going to have diabetes. Or when you're, you know, your father died of a heart attack at 57, and so you know, that, that begins to play with your head. And so we begin to look at these things and understand, okay, there's some spiritual components to what's going on in our lives. So um, before I turn the page of something else, uh, here, let me get the quote. You have the 40 years quote. Can you put that up there? Uh, okay, Pastor Mitchell said, 40 years of ministry has taught me that human beings are complex creatures and healing involves many details of a person's life, the hidden and secret parts, as well as the open and known parts. That comes from someone who has done this for many, many, many years with uh, incredible uh, impact. 
And so this is what's involved many times when we're praying for people and we're raising this, whether we're asking it for our own benefit or we're ministering to other people. So, okay, there are things. And so I'm not saying to you, okay, tell me everything. I knew a man years ago who got out of whack and uh, he would give people like a four or five page questionnaire covered with every detail of their life, their past history and everything else and then would read through it and then have these two-hour prayer sessions. I don't believe in that. That's nonsense. That's wrong. Um, I don't believe in vomiting and what color it is reveals the spirit. You know, well, that's the spirit of pepperoni right there. And, uh, you know, I'm, stay away from all that stuff. We don't believe in that here, okay? Um, but when you are ministering to people, there are issues. And sometimes you'll say, is this hereditary? You can ask that question. Other times I'll talk to men who are having heart issues and I'll ask them about, you know, did your father die of a heart attack? Or, you know, because it's amazing. When you get, you know, when, let me say something to men here. As a man, my father died of a heart attack at 74. That can put in, be on your head, 74. That's kind of thing. You have, and you have to realize that's, that's not true. That's a lie. And so you, you have to, you, you can, there's a way to ask a question and inquire of somebody about something to help you understand there without prying and, and, and reaching in and, and, and making people feel uncomfortable uh, and things like that. So uh, go, let's open it up here because we were on this subject and had lots of interest and people came and told me things. And I don't remember who told me what. But anybody here, you have a comment or a question right at this point before we move on? Anybody at all? I see Carlos, I see Sister Didi, I see Joe. Sorry. Uh, I had mentioned to you before that uh, my dad was 29 and he had died of a brain aneurysm uh, at 29 years old and it caused him to have a heart attack. And for a long time, that was... Uh, always on my mind, you know, am I going to live past 29 years old? You know, what was it that my dad, you know, uh, what generational curses were bestowed upon his life that something happened to him or something before him, you know, along the generational lines. And so that was always, you know, when I was in my early 20s, and am I going to make it past 29? And it was, you know, just a torment in my mind, you know. Uh, but when I gave my life to Christ, you know, when I was in the military, I was uh, 26 years old, 1997, and, uh, you know, slowly but surely, that started to fade away, and God began to deal with me. You know what? I have a plan for your life, and that curse has been broken, but it was just a tormenting spirit, you know. Is that going to happen to me, you know? Uh, and every time I would get a headache or something, you know, stressing out, you know, they would tell me that my dad was a constant worrier, always worrying about this and that and the other and things that hadn't even happened yet. I mean, old friends of his that I would come across even after his death and would, and would meet with me and they would tell me these things. And it's like, you know what? The more you tell me about that, the more I worry about it, you know, but I know that, that God has really just delivered me from that, that spiritual tormenting spirit, you know, my mind. And, and, and I don't have to worry about that anymore, whether it was a generational curse or not. You know, but it, it can take a toll in your life. Yes, a very, very powerful testimony. Didi? Um, last week when you were talking about the inherited generational curses, it really did trigger 
something. And so my grandmother is 94 years old and her father walked out on her, well, the family, I should say, but her mother, Grandma Carter, her husband left her also. And so, you know, just thinking about my mom, my mom's father did leave when she was 12. He ended up passing away during surgery. And then here we are, you know, me and my sisters, my dad had left my mom. And so my mother, well, I'm sorry, my grandmother that was 94 years old, she was a severe alcoholic. And she said when she was in her 50s, she realized that she needed to go to church, so she ended up getting saved, and, and that's where her life turned around. She never remarried. My mother is a functioning alcoholic still to this day. My sister, that is Marvell and Jazzy's new mother, she's involved with drugs, alcohol, in and out of the hospital. She was admitted into a mental ward at one time. And so here it is, Marvell is the same way, doing everything. So we have my granddaughter with us and we see a lot of things going on with my granddaughter with rejection because Marvell was in prison and so the state took her, so she got adopted. So it's just interesting how my sister got her kids taken away. I adopted them. We tried to do as much as we could. They still chose the path that they're on. Marvell was in prison. My sister ended up adopting Taylor, and now we're seeing things in, while she's been here with us, we've had to do a lot of prayer over her. But it, it's, it's one of those things, Pastor Ruby, to where um, I look at my life and I thank God that I adopted these kids, but you can see the separation, even though all nine of the kids grew up in the same home, you can see where uh, me and my husband have been married, you know, together, committed, but you can also see my sister's kids, even though we adopted them, still to this day, you can see curses on them. And it, it, it's gotta be the grace of God. It's gotta be a miracle for it to end, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. you know, it, you appreciate, you know, what a miracle you are. You really are, what the grace of God has done. And I see people don't understand that. They, they, they miss that, the miracle. And the truth is, as Didi's talking, or as you hear Carlos talking, who isn't here thinking about themselves right now and thinking about their own experiences? And sometimes it makes you step back and say, oh, God, you're good. You're good. It's not like we have to, sometimes we, you know, we sing, where would I be? Well, the truth is, it doesn't take much to sit there and look around, perhaps at some of your own cousins and say, that's where I would be. Okay, Joe, hey, speaking of cousins here, okay. All right. Um, it doesn't stop at verse 7. That's a scary, scary thing. Verse 8 says, so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worship. Then he said, if now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. And even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. If, we're in, if we pray that prayer to break that generational curse, we become his inheritance. If we become aware because uh, Moses, uh, he was thinking about when, maybe when he was uh, the vice president of the world, you know. <laughs> hey, man, I don't want none of this action. He made haste yeah. to repent of anything that might hinder his people. Yes, very good. So, yeah, so uh, uh, this is the, uh, you know, the whole context for this whole story is where God had said, I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send my angel. And Moses says, if you don't go, I'm not going. 
And the promise and the goodness of God is that, you know, I, I, am, I, am, I am willing to clear the guilty. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to forgive the iniquity. And uh, all this came after the golden calf when he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. And so uh, this, is, this is a reality. So when we're praying for people, we understand these things are real. A lot of times, you know, people live to the expectations. Uh, I love Sunday school because I have liberty. Uh, you know, the other day or at a conference, somebody asked me if I could send them Sunday schools. And I warned them, you, I don't know if you want our Sunday schools because they're like this sometimes. And we just, we just take time to talk. And, um, but uh, I can tell you uh, that there's something uh, uh, very, very powerful when people begin to understand these dynamics. So people see expectations. It's why, uh, you know, we're always concerned about certain things, examples. We don't want the little girls in our church to, to expect to be pregnant when they're 15. So, I mean, well, that's what's happening out there. Okay, we don't want that because it deposits something in them. There's a, you know, out there, outside, in the world, there are a lot of little seven, eight, nine-year-old girls who see their older sisters and cousins, you know, and, 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 they, and that's what they think it is. Okay, how many young men have a cousin that's in prison or in jail? I remember in the early years when you'd go to the jail to visit somebody, you had to go and a certain day. I remember going to the Bear County Jail and uh, I forgot what day of the week it was for the hours and you'd go in and you just this huge line of of, uh, and it was all women with small children, young women with small children. And they're standing in line because this is the day to go visit dad in, in, in the jail. Little boys that are there. And, and it's like, what, what's that putting in them? What, what, what that, that mindset, that expectation that, you know, when you are 12 years old, that's when you smart, start smoking marijuana or you start. And, and, and so, this is a world people live on it. So they may not articulate it and call it curses, but that's exactly what it is. The wind is blowing and the effects are obvious and they're there. And this is what you and I minister against. This is what we come up against. And there's no better proof of victory, as Joe was saying, than just to stop and look at your own life. None of us here are perfect. Okay? But... If you stop and look at your life, your family, what God's done, and you have to step back and say, God, you have broken a curse. You are, you are, you're helping us. You're moving, and you still may f- wrestle with things. You may, you know, that, 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 that assault, but you're a miracle. If you would permit me to take it a little further this morning. And that is those of you that are here who were, uh, you're, you're born to saved parents. You're born into a Christian. In other words, your parents or even perhaps your grandparents broke the curse. And you now are enjoying the benefit of that. And as I said last week, sometimes you, you battle things and you're wondering why. But you ought to stop and say, oh, thank God that uh, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places and that I have a great inheritance. And I would, one of the things I say to young people all the time, and your mom and dad are saved, and you, you don't even know the inheritance that you have if you'll go for God, what God has enabled and what God is going to help you with. 
I believe that our children and our grandchildren are going to exceed us. I believe that, okay? I look at these uh, children in our church, you know, and all that, and they're smarter than us. How many would say, hey, my kid at that age is way smarter than I was? Anybody willing to admit that? They're sharp, they're covered, they're secure. They just live life and, and they thrive and they, sh- they will ex- uh, surpass us. And why? Because they're, they're, they're not weighed out, weighed under by those curses. And uh, it can produce incredible, incredible fruit. I, a number of years ago, I preached a sermon here on um, a thing called the church kid. And at that time, I mentioned that the top player in every major sport, the only three that matter, uh, were the children of stars. And I think at the time I mentioned uh, Peyton Manning, his father, Archie Manning, was a great player, uh, begrudgingly Kobe Bryant. And, um, and um, uh, in baseball, I think at the time, Barry Bonds, I mean, yeah, steroids. But, you know, you, 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 you know, the idea being that having been raised in an environment, they were just given an advantage. I'm going to tell you, if you've grown up in church and your mom and dad are serving God, listen to me. You have been given an incredible advantage. Okay? You, you, you have been blessed because something has been broken in choices made by your parents or even grandparents. And so it's very important to understand that. Okay, does that mean that uh, Joe Sinner walks in here from a, a history of sin and his family that he's behind? No. God in his mercy can take that guy and raise him up. We know that. But to say to people it doesn't matter would not be true. It does matter. And all of our choices, we understand, have an effect. When I was a young father and I had those little kids um, at the house, every single morning I woke up knowing that my choices were going to play out in their lives. So there you go. Did I see a couple of hands pop up here? Yeah, Reuben and Tony. Yeah, uh, so true. I work at the uh, juvenile detention center, and I, I see what you're talking about playing out all the time. Most of those kids there, um, probably 75, 80% of them, their fathers are in prison or they don't have a father, you know, because I get to talk to them all the time. And there was this one, in, this one individual that, uh, juvenile, that came in, and he was. I thought there was something psychologically wrong with him because he was mumbling words. He wasn't speaking properly. um, And uh, he wasn't responding to you, you know, when you talk to him and ask him to do something. uh, He, you know, he was just like, man, what's wrong with this kid, you know? Something psychologically wrong with him. And so we got to talking and... uh, you know, because he wasn't responding, he was getting in trouble, you know, all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to talk to him and uh, find out what, try to find out what happened, you know. And he said, well, I just, I ran away from home. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think my parents like me or love me. And, you know, I felt like I needed to run away, you know. And, and I said, oh, wow, you know, I said, well, what? Why is it, you know, what, 
He said, I, he said, I don't know. I, it's like I see this light sometimes that's kind of leading me away, you know, to go. And I said, yeah, that's, you know, that's bad. And there was another kid in there that said, you know what, I think we're cursed. Yeah, and so some of these kids know that, you know, there, there's, there's some kind of curse on their life, you know. And, and he, he would ask me, do you believe in curses? And I would say, yeah, I do, actually. And uh, uh, he said, and he wanted me to talk to him about it, you know, tell him what I knew about curses. And so we had an opportunity to have kind of like a little Bible study there. And, uh, uh, you know, you can see their eyes opening up. And so I... I'd start talking to this one that I'm talking about, the, the, the one with the psychological issues. And, uh, you know, after, you know, talking a little bit about the Bible and what the Bible says about curses, you know, I said, hey, do you want to pray? You know, so sometimes I have an opportunity, you know, to, to pray with some of these kids. And he said, yeah, I do. And, and by the way, most of those kids there are open to prayer. Mm. They really are. Because there's ministries that go there. And whenever we go to chapel, they all raise their hand, almost all of them raise their hand to get prayed for and, and pray. So if anybody's interested in a ministry there, there might be an opportunity. Uh, I think Doris talked to me about it already. But anyway, so after I prayed with him, I said, look, you know, the devil's lying to you. You know, he's deceiving you into thinking that your parents don't love you. And then he started telling me, you know, my father used to do what I'm doing. I said, wow, okay, so this is definitely a curse, yeah. you know, so we prayed to break the curse. After we prayed that prayer, suddenly he started acting normal, you know, like, wow, wow. you know, this is, this is incredible, you know. He started acting normal, and like a day or two later, he got released to go home. I have no idea what happened to him after that, but, but it's really amazing, you know, how, how this is playing out in, in the lives of kids. You know, it's, it's so real. Very good, Ruben. Thank you. And by the way, men, there's some men here. As he was talking, God just put it on your heart that you could help out. You ought to go talk to Ruben and find out what you can do and how you might be able to get involved. Because it's, it's true, right? It's, 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 it's obvious. I mean, the numbers bear it out. The statistics bear it out that, uh, that there are curses. There are things that are working very powerfully in people. Absolutely. Uh, Tony, I think, yeah. Um, so we just recently actually had our, you know, our uh, Bible study for the teenagers and what we were going over was hearing from God. And so we used Samuel, for example, how he heard from God and it was, it was at a very young age that he did. And I was telling them how, you know, you're, you're young and you can still hear from God despite, you know, the, you know, your, your age, maybe your standard leadership in church or so. And uh, one study that I went over with them was the study of how your brain is not fully developed until you're 25. And it was funny because I'm not 25 yet, but I was telling them how, you know, it's like the blind leading the blind in a way. But uh, it was interesting because in this study, it was saying that when you're under 25, you think more emotionally, you're emotionally evolved in, in whatever situation you're going through. But when you're over, you know, over that hump to 25, then you start to think more long-term awareness. And... When it comes down to generational curses, it's actually that, you know, that uh, takes into effect because a lot of these teenagers may not understand what kind of generational curse they're going through at that time because a lot of these things may not even be broken yet, that, that they don't even understand what's going on, so they're thinking very emotionally at that moment. But if they make that decision to hear from God and to understand what God is trying to speak to them about, 
then you know they'll start to think more okay this is this is long term right now if i just if i get through this then you know later on in life you look back and you understand like hey that was a generational curse that was something i was going through and when i was 16 i came into this congregation and i would hear preaching about generational curses and a majority of my prayer was you know god i don't really i don't want to end up how my family ended up i don't want to end up in places where you know this is where there's curses involved where you know, there's, uh, it, there's alcohol, there's perversion, there's, you know, divorce, there's things like that that are going on in my family. And I said, you know, God, I want, to, I want to separate from that. And at the time, it was very, I can understand, it's very emotional. And now that I'm coming near a little more 25, I'm starting to get to the, the point where I'm like, okay, you know, I look back and there was a lot of things that I broke. There was a lot of things that God dealt with me, had to speak to me about, and if I wasn't paying attention to that, then, you know, I wouldn't have gone into the direction that I'm going to right now. Yes, amen. But, uh, amen. And there's uh, the whole work of God of miracles. Two uh, uh, stories that come to mind uh, when I think about uh, curses is uh, one of them is uh, back in 2013, you may remember, there was a very high-profile case where a man had kidnapped a young girl, uh, I think teenage, in her teenage years, and there was a manhunt, and they finally uh, confronted this man, had a shootout and killed him. And it was, it was big news over that summer, uh, but what made the story compelling was that I think it was like 30, 35 years earlier, this man's father had done the exact same thing. He kidnapped a young girl, had a shootout and was killed. And 30 some years later, this man repeated that. And so USA Today did an article. I remember the article and inspired a sermon I preached here in that is, is crime uh, inherited? Do people inherit crime? We, don't, we wouldn't use the term crime, we would use the word sin. In Oregon, a number of years ago, a couple little girls went missing, a couple 11 year old, 12 year old little girls went missing in a the neighborhood. They never found them. Five or six years later, uh, there was a man who lived there in the neighborhood and through some sort of tip, they went into his backyard where he had put a basketball court, a cement court, and they broke it the slab and found the little girl's remains. But then they found out, sure enough, back in the early 70s, his father had done the exact same thing. And so you're talking about very powerful, powerful forces that are working in people. And they, they are bigger than us, but they are not bigger than Jesus. One that is greater has come and, and delivers and sets free. And a lot of times when we're ministering to people, we're contending against this very thing that's working in, in uh, people's lives and, uh, and seeing God step in and deliver and set free. This is what we are contending for. And when we're ministering, we're praying with that understanding. You know, when you talk about this stuff, there's not a person who doesn't stop and say, wow, how does this relate to me? Well, I'm telling you, that's not just true in here, but it's true in general. And so when you begin to talk to people about sickness, is this hereditary? What's going on in your life? This is my experience. Sometimes you can say to people about your own experiences. I discovered that many of the things that I've battled with were not just something I battled with, but my parents. And there may be a clear thread of alcoholism or divorce or illegitimacy and things of that nature. And you're able to talk about and relate that on your own level. Um, 
I, uh, uh, next week, I've decided, I've got this material here, but I'm, next week, I'm going to just tell you what I'm going to do the last one on. I'm going to do the last uh, class on bitterness next week. And uh, when you begin to deal with the issues of curses and spiritual issues, there are a number of things that you, you're dealing with very quickly. Just, just to let you know, write it down. We're not going to talk about it, but, but they're pretty. Number one is guilt. Guilt. Guilt says, I deserved this. Guilt says, I deserve this. Okay, I deserve to be punished and view my sickness as uh, some sort of cleansing, some sort of payment. I have good news, Jesus Christ paid the price. And so a lot of times you're dealing with guilt in people and they have to be able to uh, resolve guilt in their lives and understand. And then just do a revelation of forgiveness. They realize that healing is an act of God's grace and mercy on our lives. Okay, we don't earn healing. And so he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He paid the price of so guilt. And so many times, just when people are led to that, when you deal with um, uh, things like lupus and you deal with uh, diseases, of, all of a sudden my mind just escapes me, uh, autoimmune diseases, which is basically your body attacking itself. I often pray with people about guilt or violation. A lot of times when people have been violated or abused, and they feel ashamed of that and they start thinking of themselves as damaged goods that it's almost like they this self-punishment comes on them and it manifests physically and so understanding that we are free from sin hallelujah that the blood of jesus cleanses us and i'm not being punished for anything and that the, i'm cleansed and that jesus christ has taken my punishment the book of Hebrews says once and for all, okay, not, you know, he has to come back and do it again in 2019. And so guilt, the blood of Jesus cleanses and they don't have to carry the weight and the burden of that. The other issue is rebellion. Rebellion triggers sickness. Rebellion is willful disobedience. And we understand that blessing flows downward. It's like a spout, it comes downward. And so long as you, we stay underneath that, we're good. But if we willfully move away from that, we open ourselves up and it can cause uh, a tremendous sickness. And a lot of times when you ask people questions like, do you hate your parents? Do you hate your father? Do you hate your mother? Do you begin, and you begin to realize very powerful things are triggered in people when they reject authority. It's not some light thing. That's why it's, to, it's in the Ten Commandments and that's why it talks about living a blessed life versus uh, a, a very difficult life when there's bitterness and rage against authority. It's, it's more than just unforgiveness. I'm gonna talk about bitterness next week, but it moves in a, an entirely different realm when there's just this willful rejection. I meet the nicest guys in the world until you try to disciple them and then they can't help themselves. And it causes a lot of grief and difficulty. And the third one is witchcraft. Have you dabbled in witchcraft? Have you been involved in witchcraft and, and all of its manifestations, whether it's tarot cards or Ouija boards, Hermana uh, Teresa, the Curandera, or um, uh, astrology charts, 
or marijuana. People ask about witchcraft. I always tell them that's what marijuana is. You don't believe me? A hundred years ago, uh, you talked about marijuana. It would have been understood as a religious rite. It was a religious sacrament. Okay, it wasn't Cheech and Chong. All that came later. It was a religious sacrament, and you open the doors into a spirit realm. You're automatically embracing something that's going to find physical manifestation. But anyway, you write those down, and when you talk to people, ask them, have you ever been involved? What I usually will say to somebody, particularly a stranger, is I will, I will say, look, these are the things that I like to pray about because I have found that they've triggered problems in people. And I mentioned just, I just mentioned them, okay? And uh, uh, along with that is sexual violation, by the way, which is associated with guilt. Sexual violation, promiscuity, all these things that people are, feel very unclean. And, and you can do that. So, so the fourth one is uh, the one I'm going to talk about because I want to spend a little more time on, which is bitterness and anger. So I'm giving you a week. Some of you are like, well, I'm not coming next week. Uh, if you're not coming next week, then you really need to come. All right, but I got to stop right here. We're, gonna, we're going to hear one incredible testimony, Jack. Uh, is, uh, is Juliana with you? No, she's in the nursery. Okay, I wanted her to test the, the walk. All right, mom's going to go get her. But Jack, why don't you give the testimony? We have the pictures too, so I'll let you give the testimony. Yes, uh, so last Friday, uh, we were, I got home from work late. My kids were all just chaos. My house is <laughs> uh, normally chaos. So uh, anyway, uh, I was just tired. You know, my kids were playing upstairs. My boys were roughhousing with each other. And uh, so Juliana never joins them, but she decided to join them. Tell us they, how old Juliana is. Uh, she's three years old. Uh, she was born in May of 2016. Okay. Uh, so uh, I, all of a sudden, I, I'm downstairs. I hear this uh, loud scream and uh, just crying, and, and so it, it's obviously her. And uh, Nathan comes down, and he's bringing her downstairs. He's holding her. And so um, immediately, I'm drawn to this noise, and uh, that's not a normal cry. And so, you know, we investigate. We ask her what happened. She's crying. What, what's going on? There she is. <laughs> um, and so Nathan starts explaining that they were jumping on the bed from bed to bed, and she, she fell. She hit herself on one of the beds. And so we took her to the urgent care. Get her in your hand and walk her up. Walk over here this way, Jack, while you tell the story. Okay. We get her to the urgent care, and um, she's not able to step on her foot. She's, uh, you know, she's just obviously injured. And there you go. <laughs> And so um, they take x-rays, they go through the whole thing, and um, it's obvious, we, we come, got come the pictures here. here. It's obviously broken. Uh, this was on Friday night, right here. And this is where she broke her growth plate. And I don't know if you can see it, but, um, so we took her to the doctor and the doctor said, you know, this is very concerning because it's her growth plate, it could affect uh, the way her foot develops. And there you go. Um, and so it, it was very, uh, you know, just nerve-wracking. I'm, I'm already thinking of a plan B. I had a broken bone before, so, uh, you know, I'm just, here we go again, you know. And so Saturday night, or we, we're, we're just at home Saturday, and um, we decide to, uh, 
we decide to pray for her. And so um, my kids, you know, all of us joined together. We prayed for her and we took her to the doctor on Monday. And uh, on Saturday, right after we prayed for her, here she is running around. She didn't want that splint on anymore. And I think we even got a picture of the splint. She didn't want it on. She was wanting to go play outside. And so, you know, I'm, I'm over there. I'm going to pick her up and you're not supposed to walk on this. You know, put your splint back on and uh, we're going <laughs> to carry you everywhere. And so, no, she doesn't want to do it. And so, um, so we took her in on Monday to the uh, uh, pediatric orthopedic surgeon. That uh, one on the right is, is Monday. They took uh, new x-rays. We didn't have the x-ray CD with us. We just, you know, wanted to get her in. And so the doctor looked at Ani and just said, you know, you're crazy. There's no break here. So you know that, um, sorry, that taught me a lesson in my own life, in my own faith. I, I had to, you know, take a step back and just say, I, I need to renew my faith. I need to know where I stand. And this is a real life account for me that happened through my own kid. And, uh, you know, just... There it is. Yes, amen. You know. Okay, hold on, Juliana. Juliana, come here. I'm gonna let you do what we don't let anybody do. I want, can you know how to run? Can you run? You wanna run? Can you come here? Can you just run to me? It's your come only here. chance to run on the come stage. On, he can run on the stage. <laughs> this is the only time. Come here. Okay. Come on, come on. let's go. Oh, no, let's go. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I would have had her testify, but I thought, no, nah, maybe not quite yet. <laughs> Let's all stand. All right. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God does? Amen. I'm going to ask him one more time. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's a miracle, folks. That's a miracle. That's a game changer. And so every one of us, you know, to, to think that Jack and Ani and the kids just laid hands on her, that's it, that's it. The, you know, you got to have the mighty man of faith and power and things. You no, know, you don't. It's just, God, you're good. You do these things. And what a wonderful miracle of God's grace. And we need them this morning. Let's lift our hands. Pray with me. I want you to say, Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over all sickness. We take authority over inherited sicknesses. We reject curses that limit our lives, that tell us when we're going to die, that tell us we're going to be sick. By the blood of Jesus, we are free from the curse. Let's give God praise. Father, we thank you, Lord. Your power, your dominion to heal, to break every inherited curse. God, we believe you for deliverance and freedom this morning. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen.